0: Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and all of God's children said, Amen. Excuse me. We all talk about it from time to time. Why, thank you so much. It's not earrings, though. We... We talk about it all the time, maybe some more than others. Maybe we don't talk about it enough. Maybe we don't talk about it at all. But we all at some point or another talk about getting away from it all. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that for a little while, right? Who wouldn't want to experience a refreshing dose of peace and quiet? Prefer a two-lane gravel road instead of an eight-lane freeway? Who wouldn't trade fields of green for acres of asphalt? I mean, the only problem, though, with the rural getaway is that we really cannot ever get away from it all. We always take it with us. And our smartphones, our laptops, our tablets, we're we're constantly connected to it all, all the time, regardless of where we are geographically. Except, I mean, there are those exceptions where there are isolated patches of our planet where getting connected to the internet is kind of like watching paint dry. It's agonizing, it's a sit and wait period, and more than likely it's dial up that's limited by the power of whatever they've got in that area. And if you try to connect to it, it endlessly blinks a cursor on your laptop, or you get the spinning wheel of death if you have a Mac laptop. All of it makes it very clear that we aren't connected to anything, or anyone yet, and might never be. If you're in one of those places, if it takes longer than five seconds to connect to get online or get access to any website, we all have a meltdown. We repeat the commands on our computer. We type in this. We refresh our browser 10,000 times. We say, all right, maybe if I just re-enter my password, I'll get on. Nope. And then what do you do at the end of everything else when all else fails? You reboot, right? You reboot the computer. If there's anything yet undeclared as a Endangered species, I think it's the human attention span and patience, to be honest with you. We need online and we need it right now, sometimes we say. We pay big bucks in order to to slice away seconds so we can get on the internet. Super satellites, strong bandwidth on our internet, that's the gold standard. We can't sit and wait while information needs to be downloaded. We can't live with a weak or wavering signal I said this to both churches. I said, how many of you remember having a cell phone and when you couldn't get service, what's the first thing you did? You held it up in the air, right? Walked in about 20 feet in every direction, holding it up in the air, hoping that you'd hit some kind of a signal. Of course, it doesn't really work that way anymore, but we're always wavering, trying to get that signal. We want that full power. We want that instant access all the time. Wherever we are, we want it now. When we come to think about Jesus' mission and ministry, he was trying to help his disciples and all of us, he's trying to help all of us now, to connect in a different way. Of course, Jesus wasn't trying to get his followers booted up to the world wide web at that point. He was, in fact, preaching and teaching so he could connect his disciples and connect us to the transforming power of God's kingdom. And this is a whole different worldwide web if you think about it. One of repentance, of redemption, of resurrection. When you're out in the world, who do you channel? What channel? What comes through you as you're living life, as you're sharing thoughts, as you're doing things out in the world? What do you channel? Do you channel the world and its priorities? Or do you channel the kingdom of God? To be clear, to connect to the glory of this kingdom, you have to become a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. And it takes some broadening in the sense of talking about the internet, broadening our wavelength, broadening our horizons. For would be disciples, we need to increase our bandwidth. When we talk about that with the internet, it's about speed, it's about the number of channels that can receive information. In order to connect to the heart of the gospel that Jesus is preaching, as disciples, we need to broaden who we are. We have to become, after we receive it all, we have to become access sites for other people who are seeking forgiveness, who are seeking faith. We need to stay connected. Jesus is challenging his disciples to act on the faith that they've been given, even if it seems as small as a mustard seed. Mustard seed faith might look small, it might seem unimpressive, just like the seed, but it has unbelievable power. Mustard seed size faith increases the bandwidth, if you will, the ability of any disciple to be connected to Christ and to be formed in his image and likeness. Discipleship formation is increasing our soul's bandwidth, our ability to increase our access to do three things. To perceive Jesus, to receive his his teachings, and the third thing, to conceive Jesus, to have him born within us. I mean, that's why we're here, right? That's why we gather ourselves here before being sent out into the mission field. We, the church, are in the business of discipleship formation. That is increasing our soul's ability to perceive, to receive, and to conceive Jesus. When Jesus shared in Matthew, go into the world and make of all disciples, of all people, what is not at the heart of that is winning others for Christ. He said, win people for me. No, he didn't. He wants us to feed the poor, but he didn't say your mission is to feed the poor. At the heart of what he was saying was to form disciples, to build faith in people who wanted to get closer to him. When we make disciples, those disciples lift up Christ with their words and their works, just as we are called to do. Disciples whose faith offers forgiveness and fellowship instead of judgment and revenge do so because they've increased their kingdom bandwidth, the ability to receive the information and stay in constant contact with Christ. It takes a soul that has been expanded by faith to do those three things of perceiving, receiving, and conceiving Jesus. To be able to act as a powerful, high-speed connection for those people who are searching for God's love and acceptance. The disciples, in this particular passage, I think a little bit, they get it a little bit. They finally appear to understand that they have a need. They perceive a need. To have Jesus. They begin to perceive their Lord to be the source of of bread for their journey, for their growing, but still less than a mustard seed size faith. They're following Jesus on the road. They hear his words. They, They witness the miracles. They feel the power of being in his presence. And all of this managed to increase their ability to perceive across the bandwidth those channels to perceive it in their very souls. They do recognize and they felt their neediness and they acknowledge the ultimate source at that moment when saying, increase our faith. They acknowledge the ultimate source from which they must turn to for a stronger, fuller signal of the Holy Spirit. They turn to Jesus. And if we think about it, this is the first layer of becoming a disciple and being formed as a disciple to perceive the need to have Jesus close to us in our lives. Once we perceive the need for Christ, then we have to be willing to receive the transforming power of the Spirit that Jesus offers. Receiving that Spirit requires us to profoundly broaden what we do and what we say. We're expected to offer forgiveness and welcome to confess sinners, even if they sin and confess and repent seven times a day. I mean, think about how the world acts when people make mistakes or do things. How many chances do you give a a child who's behaving badly before you put them in the corner? How many papers and failed tests do students get before they get the boot? How many screw-ups or meltdowns or full-on failures do employees get before they get fired? Seven a day? Oh, I don't think so. It's not very likely. Jesus is calling for a level of forgiveness, a level of acceptance. At that time, that far outweighed any other standard before he came. And that far outweighs any level of forgiveness that we're living in right now to receive that that broader communication of discipleship sets us up to receive repeated kind of troubles. Sometimes we are going to get knocked down. Some people want to say knock it off like giving us a proverbial give slap in the back of the head. But we are called to receive Jesus' commandments and then to act on them. Which is the second layer of discipleship, to receive. Acting on what you've Felt in being close to Jesus and then receiving what he's asking you to do. But I mean, if we truly want to be this this broadband disciple to receive and then to share it with others, this third layer of commitment informs our faithfulness. We have to perceive, we have to receive, but we also have to conceive that has birthed the Spirit of Christ again and again, seven times a day, if you will, in the world. In a world that's barren of any kind of faith. Most of the world is offline, if you will, from the power of love, the power of forgiveness. I mean, friends, we're not summoned. We're not called to to mimic Jesus. We're called to make Christ visible. We're not called to be just Christ-like. We're called to make Christ alive to people. We're to be a vessel for all of that use Paul's words, we're to be a broken clay pot holding that treasure of the resurrecting presence and power of Christ for the world out there. For too many people out there when they hear the word Christian or they, they know us and they see us coming, sometimes they feel that we're trying to slap them in the face or we're just coming to ask for money. We are not conceiving or birthing Jesus in the world. But sometimes I fear we're birthing concepts, just notions, nice ideas about Jesus. I mean, really, the story of our lives as disciples is is not some refrain or some ripped off story. We are to be the story of Jesus for the world. Our lives are to be the gospel text that says, this is what happened to me. And this is Jesus' story. I mean, the church told the Jesus story for at least 40 years without any scripture. I mean, what we disciples are are to be pointing towards in our lives is we're not looking to make points or ideas, but we're pointing to a relationship with Jesus for people. We all know what God's first decree was let there be light. So every time we conceive, every time we birth Christ in the world through our lives, through people around us, we bring beauty to life. We are recreating, if you will, that first decree, let there be light. When we conceive Jesus and bring him to life in the world, we are letting people know about the light of the world, the bread of the world, the gate, the true vine, the living water, the good shepherd, the chief cornerstone. One author says how we are to live this faith out in the world is that God is waiting eternally to be born in each of us. And in another place he wrote, from all eternity God lies on a maternal bed giving birth. The essence, he says, of God is birthing, giving life. So if you don't remember anything else today, remember those three words. Perceive receive and conceive Christ. We're called to perceive the need that we have for Jesus in our lives. And once we realize that, like the disciples did, we are to receive his teaching, receive what he calls us to do, and then take all of that, and we are to be that kind of disciple that helps it not only be birthed in us, but birthed in other people that we come in contact with. I mean, Christ is born in you, And in those around you when we do things for a soup kitchen. When you work with a student who loves learning because of one thing, you're mentoring. Christ is born in you and in others when, because of your coaching, you've taught little leaguers some valuable lessons. Christ is born in you and in others when you conceive hospitality for a stranger. Jesus is speaking to both those who believe his words in this passage and those who belittle his words. Behaving, believing, and belonging as disciples is not about earning anything or even receiving a thank you for remaining faithful. Jesus' point is that as disciples, we are emissaries. As Paul would put it, we are ambassadors of the kingdom. We're expected to behave as servants sheltering little ones, forgiving sinners, extending the hand of fellowship to any and all who seek it. Such behavior doesn't gain us very much or a seat at the table, but it does put us on par with the one who taught us those things. We're not looking to earn early bird seating or head table reservations. What we do is is the expected norm. That kind of behavior is the identifying mark of discipleship. Working to be born in the kingdom. And we're not going to get special merit badges or rewards. But ultimately, faithfully striving to shine a light on the kingdom, to have the kingdom birthed in our community, will lead to one thing. More strivings to have it happen. If we do what we've been called to do, some would say, well, you're worthless. Jesus is very clear. The admission that we have to have is we have done only what we ought to have done. That's a sign of humility and it's a sign of acceptance of what we are called to do as disciples of Jesus Christ. Not seeking status, but seeking to have Christ born in the world around us. We're called to understand our need for Christ, to receive the teaching and everything he offers and then go after it's been born in us, to help it be born in the world around us. Who do you know that needs to hear the word? Who do you know that needs to hear the gospel message that you have been given to birth Christ in the world? There's people all around us, and it starts by talking to one and sharing the good news. Amen.